I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Everything, every view is limited. It's like a mirror looking this way, another, many, many mirrors. Each one gives a view, a limited view. But see, so I said uh, theories don't give final true knowledge. They give a way of looking. The, the very word theoria in Greek means theater, same word. It's sort of a theater of the mind that gives insight into the thing, right? And therefore, uh, yeah, so uh, you can say that fundamentally, Science is involved in a perceptual enterprise, not, in, not primarily in gaining knowledge, though knowledge appears, but knowledge is a byproduct. Welcome back to Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's beautiful episode, I got to chat with my friend Hannah Crum. Um, she is the world's leading expert in all that is fermented tea. Uh, she is the writer of the book called, I think it's the Big Book of Kombucha, I got here. The Big Book of Kombucha, Brewing, Flavoring, and Enjoying the Health Benefits of Fermented Tea. Uh, really, really fun conversation. We got into colonizing the gut flora, got into all sorts of random, ridiculous usages for the SCOBY. SCOBY standing for Symbiotic Colony of Bacteria and Yeast is what that stands for. That was... <laughs> I was out of my memory, but uh, I looked it up like 30 minutes ago, so not that impressive. Um, in the conversation, yeah, we go all, all sorts of really wonderful directions. I hope y'all enjoy it. They're also sending SCOBYs out into space, NASA. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? SCOBYs, SCOBYs in space. <laughs> because they are so spinning this, the bacterial cellulose, they want to see if they can grow fabric in space thank you so much for utilizing the website aligntherapy.com that's a-l-i-g-n therapy.com on there you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement you will find the self-care kit which is a hollow foam roller screw on lids inside that little thing is uh two different size manufacturer release balls door anchor elastic band to adjust the height of that band it is absolutely pertinent that all of us walking around this modernized world um, have an active movement practice, active self-care practice, where we are consciously bringing our parts back to the center, back to the midline. If we are wandering through the world, putting stress on various joints because they are on these offset oblique angles shearing against each other every time we take a step, then um, we are just asking for inflammation and degeneration and all the issues that we end up calling old age. That is absolute fooey, the whole old age myth thing. I think that our bodies are uh, completely able to be nothing but amazing until the day that they die. Uh, and I think that us accepting anything less than that, um, I think that actually perpetuates dis-ease in our culture because then we, we get to that age and we kind of expect for, for uh, sickness to happen. And 
I'd like to see that change, I really would. Um, thank you so much for utilizing the Amazon portal on the website, that is phenomenal. Uh, on the right-hand sidebar, on the blog and the podcast page, uh, bookmark that thing. Every time you purchase anything on Amazon, por favor, utilize that link because the Lion Podcast Foundation gets about 7% of that purchase and that is how we support this thing. So that would be awesome. Um, somebody recently bought a $800 virtual reality system, something or another. That was amazing. And then somebody bought a $300 blender right after that. So that was just awesome. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for the reviews on iTunes. That is amazing. Every time I look at those guys, I am, uh, it's, you know, makes sense why I'm doing this thing. So thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. Um, I have some quotes. Let's see here. Quotes the the fella talking in the beginning there. If uh, a lot of you guys probably already knew whose voice that was, potentially, uh, that was David Bohm. He's a th theoretical physicist. Apparently, he was like I think he mentored with Einstein as well. Um, two quotes from him: uh, the ability to perceive or think differently is more important than the knowledge gained. That's pretty important. Uh, next one. Next one. Alrighty, here we go. Uh, I think this is the one I wanted to write. Yeah, this is the one. All right. Similarly, thought is a system. That system not only includes thought and feelings, but includes the state of the body. It includes the whole society, as thought is passing back and forth between people in a process by which thought evolved from ancient times. We are carrying the ideas and the theories, and the perspectives from our past and uh, processed, uh, Joseph Campbell called it detribalization, going outside the boundaries of your tribe and witnessing that we are all being kind of sort of brainwashed to thinking that our culture is normal. None of our cultures are normal. They are just normal to us. So stepping outside of the boundaries that is that are the ideas that you've been raised with and really giving getting to get a bird's eye view on yourself, I think is something that's crucially important. Seeing that the history, you are living, breathing history. Um, that was that. I think that might, might be about all. Um, I've been, <laughs> went sledding today, put some stuff up on the, the Instagram. I don't know if you guys are into those kind of things. Instagram, online podcast is how you find that. All sorts of absolutely ridiculous uh, pictures up there. I've been doing some acro yoga things where you guys can see some acrobatic stuff that you can play with at home and uh, things of that nature. I'm going to start putting, posting up various different weird dynamic exercise type stuff that you guys can play with as well. So stay tuned to that. Align podcast on the Instagram and I think it's the handle for everything. Facebook and Twitter and all that. All right. We are ready to go. Miss Hannah Crumb. Picky, picky, bow. Align podcast. I've been making kombucha for the last like several years. My my brother, my brother, he had dreadlock. He had this big like pelt beaver pelt dreadlock thing when he was like sixteen to age like twenty five or something like that. And he brought it home with his English girlfriend. And this was like, God, this was like twenty years ago or something like that. And he brought it, he brought it home, and he had this like nasty fermented thing in the closet. And I was just nothing but judgment. I was like twelve or something like that. And, um, yeah. Now here we are talking about kombucha. Full circle. <laughs> There you go. I love that. You're going to tell the story in the podcast? I'm recording right now. I, I, may, or may, I may or may not include that. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, is there anything that you would absolutely love to, to get into during today's kombucha discussion? You know, I mostly what I'd love to talk about is 
just bacteria and how we're bacteria powered and and what all that means for uh, for living life. Cool. And then anywhere it intersects with what you do, I'm always fascinated by that as well. Well, so what I do, the, where the, the kind of intersection of this podcast and the work that I focus on is how the way that we feel about ourselves and the way that nutrition affects us and our general outlook on life. Um, that affects our physical structure. You know, you can't stand up strong, straight, tall, and feel depressed and kind of shit. You know, and so it's it's it all intersects. That's, oh, that's so cool. Okay, great. Because um, you know, our philosophy is trust your gut, and that means listening to your organism, the wisdom of your DNA, and just kind of finding what works best for you. And it sounds like. Um, you do that from an external perspective, yeah. and uh, we do this from a listening to the biofeedback on an internal perspective. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So can we get in a little bit to the gut biome? It's something that I've talked about a bunch on here, not just usually me so much, but other people, but um, just kind of like your perspective on that. And yeah, you kind of... Absolutely, I'd love to. Yeah. What's, what's the, what's, what, what is the gut biome to you, Hannah? Well, it's, um, it's our soil. It's our human soil. And just like the soil of the planet needs to have nutrients and um, bacteria have a rich diversity of life in it in order to yield high quality, high, highly nutritious fruits and vegetables for us to consume, the same is true of our gut soil. If our gut soil is depleted, if it isn't diverse, we have a whole host of symptoms and ailments that you know, we think are caused by disparate, um, disparate types of influences, but in fact, really come down to that same root cause, which is just a gut and dysbiosis. And so when we put nutrient dense foods, um, and nutrient, any type of nutrient density into our body, it allows us to re-nurture that soil. So then the soil is able to grow a human seed, so to speak, out of all of that. Yeah. I was reading uh, this morning about um, this article in relation to how fast our gut biome is able to, to change based off of the, the bacteria, the food that we, we put into our, into our body, you know, and it's like, comes from, you know, evolutionary times of like, we're eating, eating nuts and berries for a week. And then all of a sudden we find an elephant, we eat an elephant and we need to be able to, to adapt to that environment. I think the same goes if we're eating freaking Doritos and crap like that. Like, we can change. <laughs> you know, like. Well, and it's so empowering. It's so empowering because we feel, you know, when people get sick, and there's a lot of people who are sick right now, you know, if they're only listening to the diagnosis from their, you know, Western medical doctor, which again, Western medicine is highly useful. It, it serves its purpose especially for trauma care, but when it comes to prevention, I think we can all agree it's, it's severely lacking. But, um, you know, it feels empowering for someone who maybe has been dealing with an illness or ailment, doesn't understand what's going on. Now they're starting to eat sauerkraut, they're drinking kombucha, they're adding yogurt into their diet, and they feel this immediate payoff or benefit from consuming that. And, and there's a power to realizing that, you know, if you're putting the appropriate inputs into your gut, and remember, they're at microbe sized amounts, right? It's not more is better. It's quality, quality over quantity always. And so when you have those high quality nutritional inputs, you, you feed those microbes and then they produce the vitamins, the immunoglobins, you know, all of the things that your body needs to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. We have this somehow in our like modern culture, I think we've created this disgust around bacteria and dirt and stinkiness and all these things. And I was watching this documentary about a guy that's living out in the taiga in Siberia, 
And it's just so incredible watching him live out there with his dogs and his kids and all that. And one of the things they were doing, they were taking the, the bark off of, I don't know what kind of trees, these trees. And then they, were, they would cook the stuff and they'd make like this tar out of it and it would block mosquitoes. And they'd rub it all over their skin, all over their dog and all over their kids. And to me, I was like, that's a probiotic experience, you know? <laughs> you know? Totally. But we, for us, it's like chemicals. <laughs> Kill the bacteria. No, we have. We've been waging germ warfare. We've been so... Um, and here's the funny thing about this whole model, right? Because it assumes good and bad. It creates that binary um, thought process around bacteria. And it's not binary, uh, because bacteria aren't inherently good or bad. Certainly, there are pathogenic organisms that, you know, are definitely out to destroy all the cells around it. But more often than not, you know, take candida, for instance. Everybody has some candida in their bodies, and we need a certain amount of it. But it's when the conditions are such that it gets out of balance, that there's too much of it present, that that's when it creates the really negative effects on your body. And so, you know, I think we're still too young in the research to understand fully. But even examples such as um, the the Hazda, if I'm saying that correctly, yeah. the, the African tribe that um, when they look at their microbiomes, they see pathogenic organisms within that diversity, but because there is so much diversity, they're not suffering negative effects as a result. So is there potentially even some benefit to having trace amounts of these pathogens present in our bodies, provided the correct diversity is there to maintain the balance needed? And and I'm right there with you. You know, uh, how we get more bacteria into our life is, you know, the dogs and the babies need to slobber on us. There's a reason that our instinct as a child is to put everything in our mouth this is where our immune system starts and um, you know this is where we're taking in small amounts of bacteria our immune system then can have a response to it and that's what makes us stronger and so it's like shaking hands and hugging and drinking out of each other's glasses and and all of these little ways in which we interact with each other that's so vital to our immune system and unfortunately the germ warfare mentality has pushed people away from each other you know like oh you've got germs oh that's gross oh I always have to wash my hands and you know What's exciting is the FDA has now gotten rid of or uh, even said that the antibacterial soaps serve no benefit and, in fact, cause a negative effect. And so I think we're slowly starting to wake up to the idea that germ warfare has been a kind of suicide, so to speak, because we've been attacking the very thing that protects us, which is our, you know, our microbiome. And it's not just in our guts. It's on every surface of our body and kind of like pig pen, we have this almost like cloud of bacteria that follows us everywhere we go. It's our bacteria force field. Yeah. Have you heard a book called Anti-Fragile? It's pretty popular these these days. Yeah. Uh, I think the guy's called Nassim Talib. And, um, but the whole concept of anti-fragility is that certain systems end up becoming stronger by going through certain you know turmoil and problems and issues and such when we're always trying to control everything and what he argues in the book, which is really nice, is that by having these, essentially, this is pretty debatable, but having these little wars, these little battles, these little skirmishes, that essentially prevents the potential of something really large developing. And one of the, one of the analogies they used in there that I liked was, was uh, by having little fires, it prevents flammable material from developing to eventually create, you know, a nuclear warfare explosion. It's all burn. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of it. By exposing ourselves to a wide variety of these different things, you know, pathogens or micro, whatever, it allows our bodies to adapt and have these ups and downs as opposed to being totally clean slate and then <laughs> I think there's a lot to that theory, you know, uh, just again, how we can 
use our bodies as a metaphor for the planet and vice versa. I think there, you know, we are nature. There's no separation. If we look at how, you know, what we don't totally know how we all got here, but imagine there's a big bang, there's bacteria. And so it starts out with these single cell organisms. And over time, they they cooperate and they collect into these symbioses until they're more and more complex organisms. And, you know, I think humans are a pretty exciting example of what what can happen when so many organisms work together in harmony, just as if we look at the entire planet and we see how the animals and um, the bacteria that create the rain smell and all of those things create that type of information. It's uh, it's pretty cool um, to see that correlation between us. But all of that is to say that, you know, the only way that organisms end up evolving is through stress. And so whether that's the stress of survival, the stress of, you know, lean times versus times when there's a lot of food available, stress because there's a drought and now we have to move to a different part of the country. All of that is what has allowed us to evolve into such complex beings. And so, you know, and we haven't stopped. That's the cool part about evolution is we're still in process of evolving. Right. So what do you think about buying expensive probiotics versus creating ferments versus cre- eating veggies that have, you know, that aren't sterilized with chlorinated water and such? Like, what, what's the balance? What's our best bang for our buck? What's the diversity with that? What, like, what are we looking at with the differences? I mean, my personal philosophy um, is holistic, right? So, I mean, how have humans, humans got here because we interacted with our planet. So whether that's using the bacteria naturally present on the beets or the cabbage to create our fermented foods by putting them in an environment where they can ferment, uh, that to me, I think is going to have more bang for our buck. And I understand that, you know, we've done some really, you know, we've done some damage with the amount of antibiotics, whether that's in our food supply or that we're taking ourselves, you know, the chlorine, the neurotoxins, you know, I mean, we're kind of in this uh, toxic overload right now. And so it can feel tempting to want to spend a lot of money on expensive probiotics, but I, I truly believe that if we go to the food-based um, versions of those probiotics, that we're gonna get a far better bang for our buck long-term because first of all, it's in food-sized doses, yeah. right? So fermented foods were our condiments. These were our ketchups, they were our salsas. They were, um, you know, you put sauerkraut on a Reuben so you can digest all that meat. Uh, we made fermented drinks. We couldn't really enjoy the water because of organisms present. So we put Pasco, which is like a vinegar drink. We would do water kefir. We do milk kefir, kombucha, uh, even low alcohol fermented beers and, you know, taking herbs and fermenting them. These were the ways in which humans always nutrified and fortified their systems. And I think when we go back to those methodologies, those organisms, how our body responds to them, that's really where you're going to get the um, smoothest transition back to uh, that stronger microbiome. That's not to say that sometimes having an intervention with a high-powered probiotic can't be beneficial at times. It's also, you know, looking at the fecal transplant. So taking kind of an extreme uh, situation and having to rebalance your gut by taking healthy bacteria from someone else's gut. And And even to your point earlier about, you know, this whole dirty thing, like, what if we ultimately find out the reason we all enjoy picking our noses, whether we eat it or not, we don't have to do it in public, (laughs) but maybe there's some immunological benefit to that because, again, we're taking in small amounts of bacteria that then our immune system can 
can com- compete against, can can build up an immunity to. Yeah, not to mention like the whole human attraction thing and us being attracted to pheromones and all that stuff. Maybe the picking mm-hmm. nose part kind of turns that off a little bit. But you know, we're we're I, I, it's probably <laughs> quite. Con- <laughs> I would think it's probably quite confusing when everybody smells like Axe, you know, and we're looking and we're looking to you know be able to smell what their genetic codes are in relation to our immune system and all this stuff is like. Axe. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, cut oh. off your ability to tell anything about that person. I bet you, honest to God, I bet you that has a, like a, a really le- legitimate deleterious effect on well, you know people evolution. Well, not to mention the phthalates and everything that's used to put those you know scents on your body, um, disrupting your endocrine uh, system. Yeah. You also have women who are on hormonal birth control that also shifts their ability to sense hormones and then you you go off birth control and then you find out you're in a relationship with someone whose immune system you don't match up with and right you know and here you thought you'd found the person of your life i mean how many things that we could extrapolate out on that really subtle level are being influenced by the chemicals by the food uh, system being so mechanized uh, that we just simply aren't even totally aware of right so what the heck is kombucha <laughs> <laughs> Kombucha is fermented tea. So, so just like wine is fermented grapes, um, and uh, and all that good stuff. Cabbage is, you know, sauerkraut is fermented cabbage. Kombucha is fermented tea. So, uh, we have a really cool culture. It's called a SCOBY. It stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. It's bacterial cellulose. So the bacteria excrete nanofibers of cellulose from every portion of their cell wall. And then gradually they grow together like a skin and then they form a bond. And so it becomes this visible, tangible, you know, pancake type thing that we can take from batch to batch, but also serves a couple of important um, defense mechanisms. So it's creating a lid. It's creating a barrier. You know, that sweet tea is a delicious substrate to all kinds of organisms, mold (laughs) and things that we don't want in there. But that action that they that the bacteria engage in creates a skin, creates a physiological barrier that can't be passed by um, by those organisms. Also, the low pH of kombucha, it's very sour. Mm. Did you notice that the first time you tried it? Yeah, of course. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little tangy. Yeah. It's an acetic acid ferment like vinegar. So really kombucha is kind of like a, a light drinking vinegar um, if you don't ferment it too long. It tastes really delicious. But those healthy acids are very antimicrobial, and so they're protective against you know, E. coli, salmonella, some of the things that you might be concerned about in your home, making it incredibly safe and easy to do at home as well. Yeah. Last night, so I tend to, until researching more about you and this, this conversation, I tended to veer away from kombucha later on in the day because of the whole caffeine content and, you know, sugar and all these things. I was like, I don't know, like maybe that's more like pre-noon type beverage for me. Uh, so I'd get like Kavita or something, you know, something different. But then I heard you talking about the metabolization of the caffeine and, and how the sugar ends up, you know. The, can we get into a little bit of like, because when you make kombucha, you dump a freak ton of processed horrible sugar into it. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's consider the source, right? I know that we have this demonized view. We always have these polarized views, right? Like eggs are bad for you. No, eggs are good for you. Butter is terrible. Actually, it's awesome, you know, right? So we're constantly kind of struggling back and forth with these things. And sugar in and of itself isn't inherently a bad thing. In fact, everything needs sugar to survive. Your DNA is made of a sugar phosphate backbone. Granted, it's not table sugar, but the point is that sugar is a ubiquitous fuel source that everything derives nutrition from. 
depending on how it's made, right? Is this, we're not talking about a corn syrup that's a highly fractionated, chemicalized process in order to derive that sugar. We're talking about, you know, a juice from a grass that then is crystallized. That's sugar. And it's sucrose. So sucrose is a disaccharide. That means it's made up of, of both fructose and glucose. And so some of those really healthy acids in kombucha, the gluconic and glucuronic acid, those acids are also made in our liver. They bond to toxic molecules and they help to keep, you know, our body clean. It's like uh, our filtering device, so to speak. Um, and because we're not making enough of those, then those toxins end up sequestered in our fat. You bioaccumulate those toxins. And so when you start to drink kombucha, it allows you to extract those toxins because of those acids being present. But those acids are created by the glucose from the, the sucrose that's in there. And then the fructose also neutrifies the yeast and adds other healthy acids to the mix. So sugar is actually not for you in this case. It's the teaspoon of sugar at the end that helps the medicine go down because most of us aren't into drinking straight vinegar. Mm. So if we ferment it to a point where the acids are present, but there's still some natural sweetness, we're going to enjoy taking our medicine, so to speak. Um, And so the sugar is really important in that regard. And just like, as you acknowledged, your first sip of kombucha wasn't sweet. Um, Much of the sugar has already been converted into the healthy acids by the time most people get to it. So when I make my own kombucha, I will, I am like, if it's, if there's even like a a dash of sweetness, I'm like, nope, not ready. (laughs) You know, so, so can I, can I get to the point where the yeast has completely metabolized the sugar, if that's the right terminology, and that I'm like... It's um, no more sugar. Can that, is that, is that a thing? Absolutely, yeah. And that's vinegar, kombucha vinegar. I mean, think about this. When we make um, vinegar, it's, you know, apple cider vinegar goes in as apple cider, which is incredibly sweet. And this is the whole process of making vinegar, which is the sugars get converted into alcohols or ethanol. And then the ethanol converts into those healthy acids, which is what makes vinegar. Same like with red wine vinegar. You know, you're putting... Oh, an alcoholic substance, and then you add the, you inoculate it with the right bacteria. It actually looks really similar to a kombucha scoby called an MOV or mother of vinegar, and then it does that same similar process. And so if you leave it go long enough, absolutely, you're going to make kombucha vinegar, which is a milder acetic solution than most commercial vinegars. Commercial vinegars are like 4 to 8% acetic acid. Kombucha is between a half a percent to a percent. Oh. And then caffeine. So I, I heard you mention the caffeine is the same way it jacks us up. It jacks the yeast up and gets them spinning right. for, the, for the fermentation. Um, and then, it, you know, does it stick around or what's up with that? Well, first of all, it's less caffeine to begin with than you might think. Um, typically, when we're having a cup of tea, we have one tea bag to six to eight ounces of water. If we were to extrapolate that recipe to a gallon batch, that'd be 16 tea bags. Most recipes call for between four and six tea bags. So you're already reducing the potential for the caffeine by about 75%. So you're starting with less to begin with. And then as you said, the yeast are stimulated by the caffeine, just like it stimulates our nervous system. But then they end up utilizing the caffeine in that fermentation process. And so it breaks it down it metabolizes it. And you end up with far less caffeine in kombucha than you do even just a cup of tea or coffee or anything like that. And um, But where the energy is coming from, right, because people experience energy from consuming kombucha, you have B vitamins in a living form. Again, these might be present in trace amounts, but they're present in that living form. And so you remember chemistry where you have like the different shapes or with the carbon bonds, right? Everything creates this specific um, molecule shape. Well, those are kind of like keys, 
right? There's a certain shape. And when you plug in, you know, vitamin, vitamin B12 into that specific key slot, it catalyzes all of these reactions and you have this instant ability to utilize it. The problem is when we're deriving most of our, you know, vitamins and nutritions from chemicalized version, from pill form versions, those versions are ever so slightly different in their shape. And so they don't fit the keyhole in the same way. So you don't get the same benefit. You don't get the same feeling from it. And now what we're finding is, you know, if you overconsume folic acid, versus folate, you end up having the exact opposite effect of why you're consuming the folate in the first place. So it ends up having a, a, a negative effect rather than a positive one when we're consuming them not in those living forms. So the living form in those trace amounts, they're neutrifying the, the microorganisms in your gut, and that's where that energy is coming from. Mm. That and improved digestion. Yeah. You know, you imagine that post-Thanksgiving, you're like hanging out and you can barely you know, move anymore because you've just consumed so much food. Well, if you have a fermented cranberry salsa and you have a little kombucha with that, that's going to digest more quickly. And then you'll have more energy that you can use in other areas of your life. Yeah. I think of my, my, my biome, they're kind of like uh, like a party, you know, and you're invite, you want to invite, you know, this year is all about, I mentioned with like moving to LA, it's like all about creating my tribe and really getting a more robust network around me. You know, it's like the same thing when we eat food. You're inviting people to the party that is Hannah, you know, or Aaron, you know. And so if you're inviting like trichinosis you know, or whatever, it's like that might be a bummer, you know. But it's so, but really taking that as into account of like, okay, who do I, who am I bringing in to inhabit this, this space here? Absolutely. You well, know. this beautiful organism and, um, you know, it's applying that consciousness and making those different choices, but it's good, better, best. You know, we're not always going to have the option of grass-fed, pasture-raised. We're not always going to have the option of organic and, you know, pesticide-free. But we're going to, as much as possible, choose those whenever we can. And, you know, the reality is sometimes I do have a Coke. You know, and it's not about perfection. It's about making a conscious choice. You know, sometimes that's the beverage that's going to, you know, or the memory, the muscle memory from that, right, from being a kid when I used to enjoy that product. Most of the time, though, in all in all honesty, as soon as I have a sip, I'm like, oh, why would anyone drink that? But every once in a while, it feels appropriate. And so I think not getting caught up on the rules of everything is also important because we have a tendency in this country, at least, to, you know, what's the recipe? What's the magic bullet so that I don't have to think? I just have to follow this one pattern. And, you know, it's not. And that's what's cool about being alive, being a human being, is we get this constant biofeedback. And if we're paying attention to it, it allows us to shift our being. And I know you see that in your practice when you're helping guide people to a more appropriate external shape. Sure. Um, but as you said earlier, it's also how do you do that when your internal shape is not uh, is not there supporting that alignment as well? Yeah, my, my new age wacky kind of analogy with this is thinking of like, it, it, say we could take everything as like vibrations, you know, when you have, when you bring some type of outside food source into your body, if it's not as vibrant as your organism, then it's going to cost you energy to bring that up to snuff in order to be able to assimilate it. You know, so you want to constantly be surrounding yourself with, with people and, you know, relationships, with food, with movement, with all of that, that is either at your level or maybe even a little bit higher. And that's going to, you know, and it's like, I know that's not necessarily scientific, but it feels right. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because this 
psi mean, right? If you look at the root, it means knowledge. And how is knowledge acquired? It's acquired through experience. It's not just by putting things through a scientific method. I mean, it's really great that we've developed a method to try to see and quantify things. But I think more often than not, we've seen it, you know, being used as a tool to create results for a desired outcome, as opposed to being this absolute ability to examine the world and offer, you know, potential explanations for why things are. And so I think anecdotal is scientific because more often than not, the reason we're even looking at some type of phenomenon is because that phenomenon already exists, right? Gravity existed whether the apple fell on Newton's head or not. Um, And, you know, scientists will often also have dreams. That's where a lot of their information comes from. And so, uh, and we look at ancient humans used to communicate with the plants who says that, you know, that's not still a relationship that we engage in in our natural world. It's just, we've been um, taught to view the universe as a machine. And when we only break things down to like, well, does it have this much fat and this much carbs and this much protein? Okay, well, here's some soylent that has all of those things present or, you know, whatever that that type of thing might be. But your body knows the difference and it knows it's not getting what it is it needs, which is those living, high vibrational um, people, energies, all of that stuff. Yeah, and so. It's the it's the it's the looking outside of ourself for information about ourself. You know, it's like when we, all of it's there if you if you look in. But we're so convinced that we need to have you know the most latest technology or the book or the you know what from like an anatomy perspective, like looking at the two dimensional anatomy model, bicep brachialis. You know, and then you try to superimpose that onto you, and you kind of there's there's like dissonance there. You miss mm-hmm. there's a separation. So I think that's getting into you know, creating your own food, fermenting food, watching it bubble and having that in your kitchen and developing like a two week long relationship with it and then putting it into your body. I think it helps with kind of bridging that gap, reintegrating. Absolutely. And that's what humans have always done. And it's right. really just this weird phenomenon, this weird bubble in time when we aren't connected to our food in that way, where we don't just consider the fat and protein, but like, where was this animal raised or how was this product nurtured or what kind of, you know, year did we have with the sunlight and the and the soil that created the full um, the full nutritional complement of what it is we're consuming and when we get back into gardening when we get back into fermentation when we go and help a friend who's got chickens or pigs or whatever you know we reconnect with what it is we are which is this planet and that's that's the trust your gut philosophy in action which is you listening to what it is that makes your organism feel good and being able to to grow from that but you know starting with kombucha at home making it at home is a really great way to get your hands dirty so to speak but in a really safe way and to make something that is super delicious and people they name their scobies or <laughs> you know what i mean or like they they really they develop a relationship with them that's really special and um you know i think that's that's there's something magical about being able to have those relationships, even if it's not with something that, you know, talks to you with a mouth or whatever. Yeah. One of my friends, when she gives Scobie's cultures out, she uh, gives them this, this little adoption, adopt a Scobie certificate that goes along <laughs> with it. It's the cutest thing ever. So can you get into a little bit of the, the history of fermentation and such and like how that's been relevant for our ancestors? And because it's really interesting. Well, we co-evolved with bacteria. You know, we we couldn't be here without them. Fermentation has served uh, numerous different roles throughout society. You know, the refrigerator is only about 200 years old, and it's completely changed how we interact with our food supply. 
you know, when we didn't have access to foods 24-7 year-round from all, you know, right, we get bananas year-round. We're nowhere near uh, a banana farm here um, or coconuts or avocados or whatever that might be. Strawberries, you know, we have access to food that we simply didn't have access to on a regular basis. And in order to ensure we had enough nutrition through the cold winters, through those leaner times, we had to make sure we took what we got from the harvest and saved it, preserved it so it would still be present during those times. And the great thing about fermentation, it's kind of like digestion, but it happens outside of your body. So the organisms create an environment that's inhospitable to pathogens. So whether that's by using salt in a brine for sauerkraut and things like that, or if it's um, using the low pH of the starter liquid in kombucha or, you know, any of those types of methodologies, once you inoculate it with those healthy bacteria, they get to work breaking down those um, more complex organisms, more complex proteins, more complex um, enzymes into something that's easier for the body to utilize. And so when you're eating those foods, it's like you're eating pre-digested food. And so all of that nutrition gets into your body and it's much easier to absorb. And it increases, just all fermentation increases the nutritional value of whatever it is you're fermenting with it. And we see this process also occur with the sprouting of grains and the sprouting of seeds. You know, seeds are by design intended to be really dense and compact and not release their nutrition until the appropriate environment occurs. And if we eat them in that seed state, we end up consuming a lot of things that are negative for our body that deplete our body of nutrition. But if we sprout them and allow those bonds to break and to crack open, then when we consume it, we derive the nutritional value as opposed to having that negative effect. So it's not just fermentation, it's the sprouting, it's the, it's the understanding that relationship to how we maximize unlocking the potential of the food we're consuming through enhancing it with bacteria. Yeah. So this is, this is comparable to starting a car and getting, you know, you use the most fuel to get that big hunk of metal moving. You know, but once it's on the highway going 60 miles an hour, 90 kilometers an hour, you're not using nearly as much energy. You know, I think that that's kind of analogous with, with the fermentation process. It's like, you're getting it charged up and it goes in, it's already running. You know, it doesn't yeah. take your body that, again, it's a similar, the new age analogy I had of like taking, expending energy to make it assimilatable in your body. Exactly right. It's already in a form, a living form that your body is ready to instantly utilize. And, you know, like I said before, the water wasn't potable. They posit really the reason why Egyptians were growing grain wasn't to bake bread, but was really to brew beer. Right. And, um, and, and alcohol is a preservative. You know, we have a very, um, again, black and white perspective on alcohol in this country because of prohibition. And alcohol is our, is our original medicine. You know, and we don't hold it with the appropriate respect that we should. And so then we tend to treat it like a controlled substance and then we're abusing it. And now we're pasteurizing it. We're depleting it of all of its nutritional value. The reason why we consumed it in the first place, you know, those B vitamins in living form come from yeast. How does yeast let us know it's present through the bubbles? You know, we instinctively crave bubbly drinks as a result. But when you get sodas, which are the fake versions of that, your body never gets the nutritional payoff that it's that you're hardwired to seek. And, and this creates, I think, a lot of confusion and then also leads to toxicity in the body because, you know, there's on a certain level, all the signs are there that this is a healthy thing. And then as soon as you consume it, your body's like, wait, I didn't get what I was looking for. Yeah. Okay, now let's consume it again. And, you know, so really, I think a lot of our overconsumption in this country is as a result of poor nutritional inputs. The body's starving for nutrition 
But because the label says healthy or the label says low fat or the label says, you know, whatever information here indicates healthy, um, we end up consuming foods that really aren't healthy for us and don't support us long term. Yeah, people are like Pac-Man with information. You know, we go, we do these like linear chunk blocks and we take out and like right now it's like the villainization of sugar and alcohol. It's like, it's bad. Stay away. You know, it's like if you kind of back up and kind of look at the course, I think you can see like, no, there's all of these different things are tools. And, you know, by villainizing, I mean, usually that leads to, to abuse of the tool. You know, if we can be, you know, mature about things and really recognize and really, you know, have a responsible relationship with all this stuff, we're really getting somewhere. You know, but I think it's, it's that villainization that it, it just, it separates us from research and understanding. From research and understanding, and like you're saying, the villainization of it. And when we don't understand something, we tend to just throw it away or throw it out or this has no use for me. And that's kind of what happened with bacteria sure. in our genome. You know, it wasn't really until they started the Human Genome Project where they wanted to look at all of our DNA, try to see, oh, are there, you know, genetic therapies? Can we turn genes on and off to alleviate certain illnesses? And they knew bacteria were inside and on the body, but they had no clue what they were for. But because bacteria play such an integral role, they even are in the nucleus of the cells. They help with mitosis and meiosis, that whole, as each cell uh, is, is replicated, bacteria are there moving information around. Like that's, that's the level of vitality ba bacteria serve in our organism. Like we can't do anything without them. Um, and once they started to realize, hey, we can't understand this until we understand bacteria, this is what led to the human microbiome research and has opened up this whole um, reintroduction of bacteria, healthy bacteria into the conversation. Because when we look at nature, Light controls like, you know, we eat eyeballs because they have lutein in them and that helps our eyeballs. Uh, we, we consume broth made from joints because the, uh, the collagen, exactly right. The collagen, um, helps our collagen. And so when you, when you realize that good bacteria are there <clears throat> holding quote unquote bad bacteria in check, instead of being antibacterial. Um, antibiotic. We need to be pro-bacterial, probiotic, and finding what you know. I would love to see kombucha brewed in hospitals and also used <laughs> as a cleaning solvent when it gets too um, acidic, because again, those those acids will will cut um, through the cell membranes of pathogenic organisms. Uh, you know, and I think we're tip of the iceberg with this stuff. I think there is a potential for us to um, to utilize these types of solutions, or you know, mushrooms throw them on a toxic waste dump, they remove the toxins, yeah, and you can still eat the mushrooms and not toxify you. Like, nature has answers. We just have to be willing to leverage them and listen to the wisdom of those answers and apply them in different ways. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you how to make kombucha because it's on your site and YouTube and book and everywhere. Uh, so assuming we know how to make kombucha, and maybe I can like make a put like a link to, to you the process of that. Um, the more interesting parts is getting into kind of creating like tonics and things like that out of it. It doesn't need to just be kombucha, which is good in of itself, but kind of starting to get into some of that chemistry or the uh, of mixing herbs and different fruits and all that stuff. Do you have any kind of like what what do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts? It's like this people should try this or definitely. And you know. Um... Kombucha is both vinegar in nature and also has trace amounts of alcohol. Both of those things are known to extract nutritional value from any type of herbs or fruit or whatever you're putting into them. And so 
what happens when you put strawberries into kombucha is over time, the strawberries lose all their colors. All those anthocyanins, all of those, um, you know, bioflavins get extracted into the brew. And so if you have a knowledge of herbs and herbalism, you can start to work with kombuchas and create kombuchas that have that, you know, more beneficial effect. And I think, you know, ginger kombucha is literally the most popular flavor of kombucha. Humans and ginger, I don't know what it is. We have like a love affair. Um, the most popular beverage before prohibition was ginger beer, but there's just something about that rhizome, it's digestive benefits, it's anti-inflammatory. It just helps with circulation that, that people really love it. Now there's a small segment who don't, but for the vast majority of people, they love it. And so we could do ginger, we can do now go another level, ginseng or ashwagandha. Um, in the book, we have 260 flavoring suggestions. We also have some um, built around the doshas and Ayurveda. And so putting a lot of different healing elements in small quantities into your kombucha, you can then derive not only that delicious flavor, but some of that nutritional benefit as well. Yeah, and so a little yeah. bit goes a long way and always with herbs because they're so powerful, make sure you know what you're working with. You know, you want to be careful that you're not, um, again, it's not quantity, it's quality that you're looking for in trace amounts. Yeah, so I, I, um, I really like kava, and like Polynesian, you know, drinking out of coconut gourds, whatever. And I just have a little tincture of it that I like to do at night because it makes your mouth numb, makes you feel funny. And, um, you know, so that's, it's, it's again, that medicinal usage of alcohol is to make extracts and tinctures and things like that. You know, so is there enough alcohol with the fermentation in kombucha to, to make those same extracts? Or not maybe that same, but is it a similar process happening with that? For the extracts, yes, but for intoxication, no. I mean, this is kind of the confusing part because um, when you talk about alcohol in the United States, we have this low, low threshold for taxation that's not tied to intoxication. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if you remember in 2010 when they took all the kombuchas off the shelf, it was because some of them can have trace amounts that go slightly above that, um, that level for taxation. And so, um, you know, <laughs> they were all taken off the shelves, they reformulated, they came back, and the vast majority of producers are able to make it with those trace amounts present. But like when you're making it at home, part of what gives it more of that flavor, part of what gives it that wonderful preservative effect are those trace amounts. But again, they aren't having that same inebriating effect. You know, I have lots of friends who are in the program and drink kombucha and think it's a wonderful wonderful beverage. And in fact, I've noticed in my own life, it curbs my cravings for alcohol. I enjoy, I'd rather have a kombucha than a mixed drink. Or if I have that mixed drink and I put kombucha in there, I know my liver is not going to be as negatively affected. I'm not going to have the same terrible feeling later. And my body's going to, you know, be more buoyed by that sensation. And so, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's listening to your body and making those judgments for yourself. That being said, some people are incredibly sensitive to the things like the caffeine or to the flavor of the kombucha or to the trace amounts uh, of alcohol present. And so everyone has to make their that own decision. And it's also remembering that it's not about one fermented drink. You know, we need a wide variety of these foods and drinks in our lives. And certainly kombucha is an easy one. You can find it in the store. It's super easy to make at home. But, you know, try uh, try getting some, you know, milk kefir or try getting some sauerkraut into your diet as well. And don't just rely on one beverage to do everything. You know, you've got 500 to 1,000 different organisms inside and on your body. You're not going to get all of that from one one food or drink. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, all it takes is some, some you know, hopefully spring water if you got it and some, and some salt. And you're off to the races. You know, <laughs> get as creative yeah. as you want. <laughs> That's how easy it is. It's just we're so afraid because we don't have the direct line of transmission on this information. 
right? We don't have our grandparents or our parents showing us, here's how we do this. This is the way we always do this. We make our sauerkraut in big oak barrels and, you know, we're doing it, you know, without that connection. When you get introduced to a SCOBY, you might think, oh my gosh, what is this weird thing? Am I going to hurt myself? Am I going to poison myself? You know, you read all the horror stories online and the reality is it's incredibly safe to do because if it were so dangerous, our ancestors certainly wouldn't be passing it on or calling it the tea of immortality or giving it this really crazy reputation if if it were so horrible or, or awful to do. And and so I think, you know, there's a lot of fear that gets pumped into our society, into our culture through a variety of different outlets. And when we're able to kind of turn off those messages and just go back within and listen to our bodies and how it's responding to be it a situation, be it a food we're consuming, be it an exercise we're doing or, or just anything that we're consuming. It just really allows you to feel how it's working within you. Yeah. So with eating, one of the things that I wasn't able to bring myself to doing until recent upon like further research was actually utilizing the SCOBY for something beyond just making tea, making, making kombucha. And um, you have all sorts of really radical things that you can utilize that in the, in the book. Can you kind of like, so obviously it's safe to eat it and stuff. Like what, what, do, we, what do we do with that thing? Absolutely. You, um, you know, people get really attached to their scobies and they're afraid to throw them away. And I say, just, you know, even if it ends up in the garbage, hopefully it's helping to break down the landfill. But we can also compost them. You know, acid loving plants really love a little bit of scoby in the blender dig in the dirt, pour it in, um, you know, those are your roses, your blueberries, things like that. The worms like them in the compost bin, the chickens fight over the scobies. How the heck do they know a scoby is good for them? Right. They just instinctually know that this is true. Animals love kombucha and eating and eating scobies, you know, on the farm, this can be a great, you know, byproduct that hopefully reduces your, your need for antibiotics. Um, and in, in you can make it to eat for yourself. Uh, we make SCOBY fruit leather. You put half SCOBY and half fruit in a blender, dehydrate it at a low temperature. It, basically what bacterial cellulose is, similar to psyllium husk, is it's an insoluble fiber. So you can't digest it. But when it goes through your system, it acts like a broom and it sweeps out excess hormones, excess sugar, things like that. So it, you know, you get a benefit from consuming it even if your body can't break it down. Um, and then... It can also be used topically. Uh, people who have eczema or who have extremely dry skin can apply the culture, either just like lay it flat or you lay it on your face like a face mask. You can grind it up and create a cream any way you choose to use it. It brings circulation to the surface of the skin. And what creates new cells? Blood. So by bringing that circulation, you're causing it to generate new cells. The acid is mild enough it doesn't um, burn most people's skin. Of course, you always have to check your own skin. But uh, it also then releases the dead skin cells. So it just has this, it leaves it super soft and smooth, and um, it's really nice. So they're also sending SCOBIES out into space, NASA. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? SCOBIES, <laughs> SCOBIES in space. <laughs> because they are so spinning this the bacterial cellulose they want to see if they can grow fabric in space which would then reduce the amount of materials they'd have to put on the spaceship right because you have only so much weight you can put on there whoa plus then you can consume them you know so because you're in space and you're not exposed to the the microbiome and the bacteria maybe consuming them in right. space is also yeah, I bet you being in a sanitary space tube for a while, having a SCOBY run would probably be really, 
quite quite, quite beneficial. <laughs> Do you, are you familiar with noni at all? Oh, it's a it's a fruit. Yes. Yeah, Hawaiian Hawaiians like the Hawaiian superfood. No one really knows why, but they use it for everything. It's a similar thing where you like. I had some growing in my. I, I lived in Hawaii for a while, and I had some growing in my. I had like you know these bottles of it in my in my kitchen, and it makes the whole entire house smell absolutely disgusting. It's awesome, and but you use it. To, <laughs> you use it to like to like wrap any kind of you know burns or wounds or like. If you got like a broken bone, just wrap a noni leaf around it. You know, it's like obviously, it's not. but folklore is like essentially it just it just does everything that you want it to do, and it's you know it's it's also a, f- a fermented food as well. So you get all those all those really really fun ferments, man. Ferments, it's where it's at. Where's that? Yeah, and so um, what was the? I saw like you had like like scoby sashimi on there. What was what would you recommend for? Because I haven't done anything really great with my scoby like where do right. i start you have, get, you have to get the timing right on a sashimi okay. right but like if you're trying to just like lightly braise it because if you do it too long it's going to get tough so i would go either the jerky route or the um fruit leather route okay. because that's going to allow you to enjoy the texture of it and get some really robust flavor without worrying am i going to you know overcook this and now i have to start over okay cool sweet that would be start yeah radical and then do i have what pets pets yeah kind of sort of one of the the people that's that rents my at my place has it has a dog presently so yeah we have we have a dog it's a little little puppy so our dog gets a little bit of kombucha dogs will also chew up the scobies like you can there's recipes out there to dehydrate them put a little peanut butter in them and the dogs go crazy for them and you know the dogs the pets are having the same problems we are because you know who's who knows what's in those bags and cans yeah right Um, but but yeah if you're for a lot of people who have pets uh, giving just a little bit to their animals can really help cool we're getting close to run out of time but the one couple couple things i what's the the lifeline on a scoby because they get to a point where they kind of start getting like brownish and such and it doesn't look like liver they look like liver and right. then, and then what? So, is there a time that you want to eat it? That, that's the best time to eat it. Is there a time that it's not going to make such good kombucha? Like I've always, it's been gray for me. It's highly reproductive, and so typically, as long as the culture is really firm, and when you press it, you don't just like squish your fingers right through it. If it has that nice firm texture to it, then you know use the new culture that forms. The old culture, which you might only need for one batch before the new one forms. You can then put in a hotel. So a hotel is just scobies and liquid hanging out for when you need them next. And then um, and then when you're ready to thin the hotel because you just have too many of them, now make your fruit leather. Now do your face mask. Or or if you have it, like you said, a burn or some kind of wound you want to wrap it on, just go ahead and grab one and do it that way. But typically a culture will last for about 10 brew cycles before it looks like liver and you want to just compost it. It gets darker because of the tannins in the tea. So it's just picking up. Um, all of that tannin energy. Is that um, not as good to eat at that point as well? I mean, I think it, the flavor is going to be a little bit different. I think okay. young okay. scoby is really the more succulent of the scoby. Like young um, coconut. Exactly right. Cool. All right. And then, and then if you're making kombucha at home and you want to streamline the process, I would say try continuous brew. So continuous brew we do in the larger vessel with the spigot. 
And the benefit to this is that you only clean it once every three to six months. Who doesn't love that? Uh, also, your cultures end up staying in a pH-protected environment, so they're always safe. They're less likely to get mold or contamination. You're also not handling them as much. And then um, the acids I mentioned, a lot of them peak later in the fermentation process, so at the 15-day mark, at the 30-day mark. And most of us, a one-gallon jar for 30 days is probably, you might like it, <laughs> but other people might not. Um, and so the nice thing is, is we can temper the flavor with the sweet tea, but we're still getting that full host of acids being created. So um, it's really the easiest, safest, healthiest way to enjoy kombucha. So um, I give you a link for people to check that out yeah, as well. please. All right. Um, the last thing that I'm curious about that I think people likely have been curious about is, is the, the fear around making any kind of ferment or something like that in your house because of maybe some kind of lurking mold or something is going to go in and kill you. Is, is, can you kind of break into, like, is there anything to, to fear with making this stuff? No, I mean, mold is how food tells us it's inappropriate to consume. And that's really the only thing other than fruit fly invasion that we're looking for in kombucha. And um, the reason for that, and there's, you know, what's really great about the book is there's this appendix in the back that has many of the research studies to certain symptoms or certain things. And one of them is antimicrobial. Many studies have shown that that low pH of kombucha, the healthy acid profile, it cuts through the cell membranes of pathogenic uh, organisms, prevents them from reproducing, and essentially just annihilates them. Mm -hmm. And so making kombucha at home is probably safer than, you know, working with chicken or, you know, or vegetables that have listeria runoff on them. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, so kombucha is going to be far safer to make. And most ferments are too, because unless there's visible mold, it's going to be safe to consume. Sweet. Is there anything else that's that I feel like that was we, we covered a lot of really good stuff. Is there anything that you think is hanging out that would be good to mention or just trust your gut. And, you know, what happens when you start to change your microbiome, when you start to cultivate a positive community within your organism, you desire to go out into your physical community and create that same type of of diversity, that same type of connection. And we all know that change is not gonna happen from the top down, it's gonna have to be that groundswell. Yeah. And so the yeah. more of us who get this information, who reclaim our health, who re-inoculate ourselves with great diversity of ideas, of people, of experiences, of bacteria, that's what's gonna make our culture really thrive and help to take it to that next level. We're in this kind of growing pains area, but hopefully people get excited again by fermentation. They wanna shake hands and meet strangers and connect with other people in their neighborhoods and you know, they find you, they find me, and they we create this this really robust and positive community around um, around reclaiming our culture. Yeah, I was talking with uh, a woman called Anadea Judith, who she's like the queen of like subtle body, energetic, all that. Are you, have you heard of her before by mm -hmm. chance? Okay, chakras and all that stuff. I'm interested in this stuff as of recent. I've been kind of like poo-pooed it for a while. Now I'm like, no, I think I'm at a point where I can accept it. Well, let's get into it. And one of the things that she mentioned is kind of this rising up through like the, the base chakra, the second chakra, the third chakra. It's, it's kind of metaphoric for how we get, how we're, our, our culture is moving. And right now she says we're more like the third chakra, which is more power and kind of like asserting ourselves in the world and such. And we're kind of starting to bump our heads on this heart space, which I feel that in myself where it's like, if there's anything that needs to open, I'm pretty sure it's my heart. And, you know, I'm, I'm actively working on it. I feel like things like art in the streets, things like dancing, things like, you know, just having a hug, eye contact, all these things that 
our culture has kind of pulled us away for these, you know, this industrial age. Now I feel like we're, we're, we're it feels like we're coming back to it. I mean, you know? look, I'm a hippie at heart, but it's um, divided we fall. And however that division is created, whether it's through illness, whether it's through fear on TV, whether it's, you know, I mean, there's just there's a lot of places to consume information that will keep you stuck in a certain uncomfortable place and feeling really isolated and alone. When the true reality is, is that we are so connected to this planet. We are so connected to nature and the universe and all of these things, the chakras, the stars, the, you know, we are part of all of it and we are made from it. And we can't help but be connected to it. And it's that confusing message that we get that creates the distress, I think, and the, you know, the loneliness, you know, like we have this memory that we're from something really amazing, but then everything that we're hearing tells us, no, you're part of this machine and we don't feel that. And, and that, that sadness, that confusion, that, that wound, if you will, is what I think um, drives so many of us to seek these different pathways back to what we really are, which is nature. Yeah. Or filling the void with power, greed, money, you know, and that's something just, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's and the there, temporary and fill. Well, and just <laughs> a last, <laughs> right, just like there's different types of bacteria. What right. if there's, right, what if there's types of people who thrive in that because that's the type of bacteria they are. That's the diverse microbiome. You know, what if we did microbiomes? Like, my point being, it's not necessarily just the bacteria, but there's so many different types of bacteria. Who's to say there's only one type of human? Sure. Maybe there's lots of different types of humans, and some thrive at that level, but we're out of balance. There's too many of those types in control, and um, I think there's a lot of us who really love life and and want everyone to have an opportunity to thrive and, and help people to thrive. And, and so that's my, my hope for the future is more of us you know, bacteria who care about creating positive connection are able to influence the culture in a really great way. Yeah. Yeah. And then looking at the, sh- the chakra system as like, just, you could look at it purely metaphoric. It could just be a fun story. Um, or you could look at other ways if you want, but each, each of those representations could be kind of like an archetypal, you know, human expression of sorts. And to say that heart is the only thing that matters. We just need to open your heart. You know, that would be like, okay, well that's really limited because there's another six, you know, systems or, you know, four or 12 or, you know, whatever system you're looking at. And so it's like, yeah, everyone does have its place, I think. And the highest expression of an individual, I think, is is kind of the integration of those parts. Where do people find you? <laughs> Learn more about kombucha. Kombuchacamp.com. Camp with a K. Cool. Radical. Any, anything else? Instagrams or any of that crap? Or is it all linked yeah, to the Instagram, thing? Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Just Google Kombucha Camp, Camp with a K. You'll find us everywhere. Um, also, if you're looking to be a kombucha brewer, we have the Trade Association Kombucha Brewers International um, helping people get into the industry so that they can serve their community, provide amazing kombucha, and help other people get well from the inside. That's great. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. And I'll see you in Santa Santa something. Santa Monica, Monica maybe, yeah. 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 Cool. Sweet. Thank All you. right. Well, um, yeah, I'll let you know when I when I make it down there. And uh, thank you again. Appreciate thank you. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A L I G N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog, you can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free 
instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.